the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Barb Yoder, General Manager of Salem Media Group, Tampa, Sarasota. Here at Salem, we are honored to work with a wonderful array of churches and ministries, all proudly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not the church. We are the broadcast and the multimedia platform the church stands on and reaches the lost through. If you're a part of a ministry group that's curious about a broadcasting and multimedia outreach ministry, now is the best time to have a conversation with us. Send me an email at barb at salemtampa.com. That's barb at salemtampa.com. Now playing Breakthrough, starring Chrissy Metz. Boy, get off the ice! She's been underwater for 15 minutes. The odds were against her son. He's had no pulse for over an hour. Until his mother's prayer. Please send her the spirit to save my son. Proved the impossible. We've got a pulse! Now. I don't believe John will survive the night. Discover the incredible true story. You don't know my son. Of an extraordinary miracle. He is a fighter. Breakthrough. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. For tickets, go to BreakthroughMovie.com. Faith Talk 570. WTBN. Thank you for listening on this Good Friday. On Saturday mornings, attorney Joe Pippen hosts his program, Ask an Attorney, all about Florida law. The program has been running in Tampa Bay for over 30 years, and every Easter he presents The Trial of Jesus, a full accounting of the legal procedures that ultimately led to the persecution and death of Jesus Christ. And now, here is the full version, The Trial of Jesus, with Joe Pippen and the late judge, Harry Fogel. We're going to be talking about the trial of Jesus, and before we really get into the subject, I've asked the judge if he'd like to make to make a statement before we get into the subject. Judge? Well, Joe, I think that many people think of uh, dramatic courtroom trials in terms of the perhaps the Baby M trial of recent vintage or uh, go back through history, uh, the trial of Socrates or Charles I, uh, Aaron Burr, uh, come up through these uh, big courtroom dramas of perhaps of uh, Bruno Richard Houtman. Some may even think in terms of Perry Mason. But really, one of the most dramatic trials in all of judicial history was the trial of Jesus of Nazareth some 2,000 years ago. And there's so much mysticism surrounding the crucifixion and the resurrection that we lose sight of the fact that this was a man tried under the laws of man that existed at that time. And we're going to, to explore that trial and get into it a little bit, and hopefully you'll learn something about the trial of Jesus Christ. Now, you have written about this subject. Can you tell us uh, briefly where you got the information uh, about the things you've written about this trial? Well, I think my, my, uh, I was first piqued by a professor at Duke who explained the, some of the legal aspects of the trial, and, and I got into it through the Bible, and uh, then in the law library at Duke University when I was a law student there. And I continued that study and have continued through the present time with, with uh, references to many, many uh, works and to many, many authorities, including at one time the, uh, the, uh, Supreme, the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Israel. I had a discussion with him concerning 
concerning the ancient uh, uh, rabbinic law that uh, governed many of the aspects of the trial. If someone wanted to do their own reading about this subject, could you kind of point them in the right direction of where to look uh, about the trial? There have been several. Well, I'd point them to the Holy Bible first. Okay. And then, a good uh, starting point. Yes, sir. And then there is a, a good, I forget the name of the uh, of the book. It may well be The Trial of Jesus by West Publishing Company, a, 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 a prolific publisher of legal uh, uh, encyclopedia and, and other law books that uh, represents one of the better works, I think, in the area. Okay, well, let's look at what the court, let's go back to the year 30. 33 AD and look at the court system. Uh, could you kind of briefly describe the court system and maybe compare it to the court system today for us? Well, we didn't have the jury system as we know it today, but the Jewish Supreme Court and the court which tried Jesus was the great Sanhedrin. Uh, this was the Jewish Supreme Court. The origin of the court is ascribed to Moses, and uh, it uh, was made up of perhaps the most influential or at least the most highly regarded people of the community uh, of that that time, uh, the priests, the elders, and the scribes that uh, made up the court numbered uh, 69. There were actually 70 members, counting the uh, high priest or presiding judge of the court. Okay. In the article you've written here, you talk about the 23 elders, the 23 scribes, the 23 chief priests, and the 70 members made up the of the high priest. Mm-hmm. Is this uh, like different levels of court, or is this all one group? This was all one group, and uh, it was to this court, incidentally, that Jesus referred when he said to his disciples that, uh, quote, he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Okay, so this is the exact group that he was talking about when uh, when he said those words. Yes, sir. What part of the phase of the trial is recorded in history? Uh, I know back then they don't have the, the case studies like we do today of every case that comes along, but is there something more in writing than, what, than what's in the Bible about the actual trial proceeding itself? Only the Gospels give us any hint of what occurred that day. The writings of Josephus refer to a man called Jesus being crucified in Jerusalem on that date, but uh, that's as far as it goes, and we have to look at the writings uh, contained in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to uh, discover what really occurred, plus comparing it with the ancient, what we know of the ancient rabbinic and mosaic laws, uh, the, the uh, Torah, the, the uh, Mishnah, the Talmud, all of these writings of the Jewish people that was such a great, great system of law. Would it be customary back in those days to, to record trials of any type of information about the trials of other people not in that same time period? Not the trial of a person, Joe, but the, the laws themselves under which the, all trials must be conducted were recorded. So if one were to go back in history, a judge would know what happened in the case the year before because there would be some recording of it? As oh, not cases a, again, not of the case itself, but okay. only of the law which was applicable. The, okay. uh, the law was a great system of law and, and brought to us many of the constitutional guarantees that we know today, surprisingly enough. All right, we're going to be talking about some of those things. Can you tell us what Jesus was actually accused of at this trial? Well, the record is really silent uh, as to any uh, formal reading of a charge. Their law required the formal reading of a charge just uh, in what we would call the arraignment of a criminal defendant today. But there's nothing said about the charge. But the charge actually was blasphemy. The first charge that, uh, on which he was tried before the Sanhedrin was a charge of blasphemy. So the soldiers went to arrest him, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened at that time? Was there anything done in 
improper when he when he was arrested? Several things. First of all, the the arrest was at nighttime, which was in violation of the rabbinic law that said an arrest for uh, a, a capital crime must be made in the daytime. Uh, the soldiers uh, were acting, or the uh, the uh, Sanhedrin guards were acting on the uh, word of an informer. Uh, or okay, a let's first stop there. They, he was arrested at nighttime. Would that be enough normally to have the case kicked out of court? So Should have been. Should have been because okay. that was an illegal arrest. All right. And uh, they were acting on the word of a conspirator, Judas Iscariot. And again, you couldn't, in, under their law, rely on the word of a conspirator to uh, justify an arrest. You had to have extrinsic evidence of, of guilt of the offense. And so that was, again, a violation of the law. And the third violation of the law was that no judicial officer had reviewed the uh, the charge and issued a, uh, a warrant to use present-day terminology. There was no legal mandate for the arrest. So all of those things just by themselves would have been enough to have the case kicked out of court, so to speak. Is that uh, certainly would have. Back in those days, did you, when you arrested someone, did you have to read them their rights? No, they didn't have the, the reading of the rights, but the law, the law itself and the court uh, protected the accused. Now, today, of course, there is no uh, 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 reason, or there is a reason, but there, there's no duty upon our courts today to protect and defend an accused person. But the court itself had that duty to protect and defend the accused, so knowledge of these improprieties should have caused the court itself to, to dismiss the charges. Okay, so the trial must have been in daytime in the public. All these things are, and they must have had a warrant. None of these things were done. Why do you think the judges back in those times just ignored all of these things? Well, of course, the end result had to be. Uh, there was no uh, there was no escaping that fact. But uh, the it's thought that the priestly side of the Sanhedrin brought about this illegal arrest and subsequent trial because it was to the priests that Jesus represented the greatest threat. If what this man was preaching and teaching throughout the countryside became accepted by the people, then the priests were being hurt in their political power and in their pocketbooks. You remember, it was just on this day, Palm Sunday, that uh, just a few days before the trial that Jesus had run the money changers out of the temples. And those uh, those money changers were working for the priest. Uh, he was a threat to them. They had to get rid of him. He was a victim of free speech, if you will. All right. When Jesus went, uh, went to the trial, could anything that he said himself be used against him? No, this great system of law provided that no confession could be, that no, <clears throat> excuse me, no accused could be compelled to testify against himself, and no conviction could be based on the uh, confession of an accused. Now, the, the right uh, against self-incrimination is brought to us in the form of our Fifth Amendment to the Constitution, and we require today that before a confession can be admitted, it must be shown to be freely, voluntarily, and intelligently given. This is the reason for the so-called Miranda warning to an accused, where he is advised that anything he says can and will be used against him. But even a freely given, voluntarily given, intelligently given confession was not admissible under the Jewish law. That law would not admit any confession. It took the position that the state could never be permitted to rely upon that which an individual would say from his own mouth in order to secure his conviction. All right, you're listening to Ask an Attorney All About Florida Law. We're looking at the trial of Jesus Christ this morning with a very special guest, Judge Harry Fogel, who has done extensive research on this subject. Okay, let's get back to the trial of Jesus Christ. Judge, was he 
required to testify against himself, and did he do so at this trial? The Jewish law had the uh, had a provision that we have today. No accused can be compelled to give testimony which may tend to incriminate him, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. And that was uh, in full force and effect in, under the Jewish law. But not only uh, was Jesus compelled to testify against himself, but he did testify against himself. Were there any witnesses that came forward and testified against him at this trial? The uh, original, uh, the, the Matthew first tells us that uh, the court sought witnesses against Jesus, but found none. But then he goes on to say, at the last came two false witnesses. Notice that Matthew refers to them as false witnesses. And the amazing thing is that, according to St. Mark, the witnesses did not agree together. This is important because the Jewish law required, in the case of a capital offense, that there be two witnesses, at least two witnesses, and if there were only two, these two had to agree in every material particular. And uh, the, uh, uh, the discrepancy in the testimony is pointed out by the fact that one witness took the witness stand on this charge of blasphemy against Jesus. And his testimony was that what Jesus had said was, I am able to destroy the temple. The second witness testified that what Jesus had said was, I will destroy this temple. Now, there were only two witnesses. They were not in accord as to what had been said. And accordingly, Jesus was entitled to an acquittal at this point without being questioned as to any defense and certainly without being compelled to testify against himself. Let me ask you this. Were, were there any judges or elders or scribes or chief priests or anybody who made up this court? Was there anyone who, using today's uh, words, removed themselves from from hearing this case? Did anyone not want to be involved in this case and just remove themselves from the court? Well, it's been suggested by some writers uh, that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, and there was no question that he was a member of that body, and that one one version says that he removed himself as from consideration of the case because he was interested in the outcome of the case. And remember, there was no jury. The, the Sanhedrin was both judge and jury. And others, uh, and perhaps a little more romantic version, is that he sat on the court, that is, Joseph of Arimathea sat in the case, but then entered a vote of guilty in order to ensure a unanimous verdict of guilt. And the reason for that is interesting. A unanimous verdict of guilt from the Sanhedrin resulted in the acquittal of the defendant. Are you saying so if they all voted him guilty, then he would be not guilty? Yes, and that okay. came from the requirement of the rabbinic law that the court protect and defend the accused person. The law held that if everyone voted guilty, no one had uh, uh, operated in behalf of the defendant. No one had, the court had failed to protect and defend the accused as the law required. We've heard so far that we have a very interesting case here. It seems to be one-sided to some degree. He, he was arrested without any warrant, so to speak. He was, uh, their witnesses didn't agree. There was unanimous verdict, which would result in a not guilty verdict. So it seems like it's one-sided, and we're going to get here in a few minutes to the end as to what happened and why. But first, let's go to Clearwater. Do you have a question for us? Uh, good morning, Joe. Good morning. Uh, this sounds like it was the first show trial, actually. My question, Judge, uh, is was this a special... Well, I had the impression this was a special court that was convened just for this particular trial. I probably am wrong, and you can correct me on this, but my, the question is, was this court a sitting court, uh, as we know today, um, 
And we also heard that uh, there were two robbers that were also convicted along with Christ at the same time. Were, were the, their cases also heard at this particular time and with this particular court? And was this the only capital, was it crucifixion, I assume, was the capital punishment? Uh, were there, what other punishments were uh, meted out by this court? Well, this court uh, was hearing this case. The Sanhedrin was a regularly sitting court. It's thought that it was perhaps the priestly side of the court that, that uh, made up the the majority of the court and uh, really brought the court into uh, session for this particular trial. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is thought to be so because of the threat that Jesus was to the to the uh, priests. Mm-hmm. Now, that you had another question there, the latter part, and, and uh, would you repeat that, please? Yes, the uh, there were, according to the Bible, there were two robbers that were also convicted at the same time on either side of uh, Christ on the cross, on the crucifixions. And were they also uh, tried at that particular time in that same court, or was this from an earlier court decision, or just how did that come about? These two were there from an earlier court decision. And let me emphasize, too, at this point, that crucifixion was not a Jewish form of imposing the death penalty. Crucifixion is Roman and Greek in origin. The Jewish people imposed the death penalty by stoning, beheading, or strangulation. It depended upon the crime of which the accused had been convicted, and the, uh, the crime of blasphemy for which Jesus was accused uh, called for death the death by stoning but uh, the the Jewish people could not inflict the death penalty at this time the that could only be inflicted by the Roman authority and this court was a, of a Roman authority no this court was of Jewish authority well, but how that, did they change uh, horses in the middle of stream well they had to make the accusation before the imperial procurator or the imperial governor the military governor of Rome if you will of, uh, of Judea if you will yeah. that was part Pontius Pilate, and that's the reason that they took Jesus before Pontius Pilate. That was the sole reason for taking him there. They didn't change horses in midstream. Pontius Pilate acted as uh, as a review court, if you will. Oh, okay. Was it sort of like an appeal court? Well, rather like an appeal court, except that they had to go through the trial from the very beginning. It was almost a trial de novo before Pilate, a, a new trial, so to speak, a separate trial before Pilate, who had to satisfy himself that all the requirements of the Jewish law had been met and followed. Right. Thank you very much. Yes, all sir. right. Let's kind of review what we said before we go into the final result of the trial here. Can you kind of review all the things that were done wrong uh, in the eyes of the court by from the arrest right on up to the to the final verdict? Just quick summary of the things that were done wrong in court, and it should have been an uh, instant not guilty. Well, the arrest was illegal. Uh, the uh, subsequent trial had these irregularities and, and illegalities. First of all, there were two witnesses called to testify, and the uh, two witnesses did not agree on what had Jesus had said what they based their charge of blasphemy against Jesus upon. The witnesses not being in agreement and the law requiring them to be in agreement, uh, that should have resulted in an, in an acquittal. Uh, then uh, the high priest, uh, in effect, tossed aside his role as a judge in that uh, he screamed, jumped to his feet and uh, said to Jesus, tell us what's wrong. His words were, answerest thou nothing? Uh, uh, what is it that which these uh, accuse you of? Jesus at first made no response. And the high priest again demanded that Jesus speak. And remember, under the law, no person could be compelled to testify against himself. I adjure thee by the living God, Caiaphas told him, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus first replied, if I tell you, you will not believe. But then Caiaphas kept on insisting, and finally he confessed, thou hast said it. And with that, the court simply said, he has spoken blasphemy. We don't need any witnesses. Finally, at the uh, latter part, that, that 
they based that on Jesus' confession, of course, and a confession was not admissible under their law. And finally, the vote itself, according to St. Mark, was a unanimous verdict of guilty. And such a verdict could not stand up under the under the rabbinic law. So let's hear the final verdict of the court. Final court, again, according to St. Mark, was they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And then they took him to Pilate. Actually, did, did uh, they have to do that? Did they have he, to take him to Pilate? Yes, they did. Okay. Pilate was the military governor, to use present-day terminology, of the Roman, uh, of the uh, Judea area under the Roman army of occupation. Okay. Then did they uh, have to present all the evidence back to Pilate, who would make a final decision? Pilate was supposed to review the case from the very beginning and go all the way through it. And matter of fact, Pilate's first question to the priests that brought Jesus before him was, what charge bring ye against this man? Now, those words are important. They show that Pilate intended to take the case up from the very beginning, beginning with the charge. He did not say, what have you convicted this man of? He said, what charge do you bring against this man? What he would normally ask is, what has he been, been convicted of? Well, that's what you would think. That, okay. uh, if he was just merely going to uh, say, well, it's all right to put him to death because he's been found guilty of a capital crime. Right. But the, the law required that Pilate review the work. At, and Pilate's an outstanding example of why it is that judges should decide cases based on the law and not based on what the people want. The, uh, so he reviewed the whole case. And at the end of it said, I find in him no fault. This is an acquittal. And this was the first acquittal. Uh, St. John, that comes from the book of John. And uh, he says, I find in him no fault, despite this. And okay, well, at that point, he should have been set free. Is that correct? Yes. But you see, uh, the the uh, now, incidentally, that charge was treason because the, the uh, OK, they brought a second charge against him. Not really a second charge. They brought a substitute charge, I think is a better word, All because right. the priests realized when when Pilate said, uh, you know, the first thing they said to Pilate was, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Well, now you dig into those words a little bit, and what they told Pilate was, when he answered, when he asked, what charge have you got against this man? He, they answered, if he wasn't guilty, he wouldn't be here. That's something like a, a police officer bringing a man before me. I say, what's the charge, officer? And he said, what's the difference, judge? If he wasn't guilty, he wouldn't be here. Right. Now, when they brought up the second subcharge of treason, treason, should that have gone back to the original court and another whole hearing taking place? Well, not really, because either one could be construed in that manner as him usurping uh, the authority of the priests uh, who were ruling the country at that time unto himself, too. And this is really treason against Caesar that they're talking about. Now, they said uh, he... he okay, now, how, how does Caesar fit into this whole... whole well, issue? Caesar was the Roman emperor. Caesar was... Uh, so Pilate reported to Caesar? Pilate reported to Caesar, and everyone that was under the Roman occupation uh, had to uh, pay obeisance to Caesar. They okay. they had to kneel and bow to Caesar, and, and uh, they accused Jesus at this point of treason against Caesar. And Pilate, Pilate found, said, I, I, I find in him no fault. After he'd examined Jesus, he said, he's, he's innocent of treason. And uh, this, of course, the, the, the priest couldn't stand for it. They, we got to understand that uh, I, I don't subscribe to any uh, any theory of deicide on the on the part of the Jewish people, but I do believe that these priests, it was a conspiracy among the priests themselves to get rid of this man. They had to get rid of him. And they, uh, oh, they let out a roar of indignation at Pilate's verdict of, of innocence. And they told him, uh, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, this is a charge of sedition. Still, again, similar to treason, called for the death penalty. But uh, Pilate tried to get, get off the hook. Now, he, with this reference to Galilee, he sent them, this is where he sent them to Herod, uh, because Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee. He was present in Jerusalem at this time for the Feast of the Passover. And uh, he, sent the, he sent the priest with Jesus to Herod's palace, 
and uh, renewed the charges of treason and sedition before Herod. And there was another uh, little kind of a sub-trial there, if you will, but uh, Herod uh, didn't uh, didn't ask any, uh, didn't get any answers from Jesus. He asked a few questions, and, and uh, there were no witnesses called. It was Herod who had Jesus arrayed in the gorgeous white robe in mockery of his kingly powers, but he sent him back to uh, Pilate without rendering any decision at all. Okay, was there a third trial? Well, yes, because Pilate then, but Pilate went out to the crowd, and... Uh, well, this is when they changed his white robe to the purple Just robe after, the Pilate went out there and told him, uh, you you brought this fellow unto me as, as someone that perverteth the law, and, and I've examined him and found no fault in him. Then Pilate did an unusual thing. He said, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Now, as a lawyer, as a judge, what is chastising he chastising? What, right? Yeah, he's chastising an innocent person, according to his own statement. But he had Jesus chastised. This this must have been done in an effort to assuage the bloodlust of the, of the priests, hopeful that this would cause them to cease their demands for the crucifixion. As a matter of fact, the uh, gospel says that Pilate uh, sought to release him after that. But the the priests, it was the priests then who, who stripped Jesus of the uh, white robe, put him in the war cloak of purple, uh, gave him a reed for a scepter, and crowned him with a wreath of thorns. So we've heard uh, we've heard everything the court has done wrong, and we've heard that uh, he was went before the court three times, and each time he was judged not guilty. Before we get to the end, let's go to Gulfport. I'm a little confused. All right. The judge said that there were no records being All right, speak up just a little bit, if you will. I am confused because the judge said there were no uh, accurate records being kept of these trials uh, at the time, and uh, when did the Romans not stop persecuting Christians for not thinking like Romans? And uh, isn't this sort of passing the buck from the them to, onto the Jews who have been persecuted through centuries because of this for what happened there? I said earlier that the only record extant of that which occurred is is uh, from the Bible itself. Historically, the uh, Roman government would allow local governments to exercise their own system of jurisprudence in treating criminals, and this is what the Romans did in Judea at this time. But weren't the Romans persecuting Christians before that? Uh, anybody that thought like Jesus? Was no, there were not. There were no such things as Christians at that particular time. I see. And it was not until after the death that they started the uh, right. the uh, Christian martyrs. Right. I don't think Christians became known as Christians until uh, St. Paul introduced that uh, terminology. And wasn't the Bible written by men who might have uh, planted these uh, stories to uh, suit their own uh, purpose? Oh, of course. You can believe what you want to believe. You don't You don't have to believe that. That's the privilege of an American. You see, it's just like uh, Jews being blamed for crisis like uh, the Negro and, and the white man being blamed for the plight of the Negro today. I don't. I don't indulge in any judgment on that uh, portion. I thought I made it clear that I don't subscribe to any theory of deicide on the part of the Jewish people. Yeah. Uh, I don't do that at all. Well, I just unclear on that. Since it was written by men, I don't know if they didn't slant it towards uh, not blaming the Romans because the Romans might have been directly responsible. That's possible. Their, their punishment was crucifixion. Mm-hmm. If he had directly been convicted by the Jews. I should think that they would stone him to death or some other me. Well, they couldn't do that at that time. So they, they, they couldn't do that at all. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to clear that up. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Judge Jesus was on trial for his life. Can you tell us his attitude during this whole trial and some of the things that he said to, to Pilate and uh, what his reactions were as things were happening in this trial? Well, I think he was calm and, and unafraid. Uh, he had uh, uh, had that problem the night before and in, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed uh, to God. Uh, 
but uh, again, these things had to be his answers uh, given to to uh, Pilate and to the uh, to the uh, priest was that uh, he uh, he understood that he was the Son of Man and that henceforth he would sit at the right hand of God the Father. I think he said that thou thou couldst have no power at all against me except if it were given uh, from thee above. That's what he told Pilate when yeah. Pilate asked him, "Whence art thou?" And that was his response to Pilate. So that kind of says what his attitude was all along. It doesn't matter what you do to me, because you only have the power to do to me what, what my father was going to allow you to do. I think that's so. exactly right, Joe. Okay. When we get to the very end here, three times he was said not guilty. What really happened at the, at the very end before he was put on the cross? Can you tell us, well, go through that a little bit? I think uh, at this point, Pilate uh, uh, told the priest that uh, he would give the command uh, for the crucifixion, but at the same time, he felt that uh, Jesus was innocent of any of the charges. He took his, he took his basin of water before them and washed his hands in it said, uh, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Uh, he had made a final effort to save Jesus, incidentally, through his, uh, the uh, opportunity given to the people to select someone who uh, could escape the death penalty through a majority vote of the crowd. I think this to be extremely dramatic, and a great deal of the drama has been overlooked by the authors and playwrights. Uh, the name Barabbas in the Hebrew means son of Abbas, and Pilate offering them an opportunity to uh, select someone who could escape the death penalty asked them if, if uh, they wanted to spare Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. Barabbas' name uh, means son of Abbas, and his first name was Jesus. And that was that was Pilate's question to the crowd at first. And they selected Jesus Barabbas to be spared and insisted that Jesus of Nazareth be executed. And it was then that, that Pilate finally gave the command for the execution. So why do you think the people would, would vote that way? Why do you think they would vote to have... It, it wasn't the people, Joe. It was the priests. It was the priests. And I emphasize again, it was the priests because they had to get rid of this guy. This guy was a threat okay. to them. Okay, so all the priests, the elders, the scribes, and so forth, they had the right to let one person go? They, yes. Okay. They, they, the question could be put to them. And, and of course, the priests were leading. The, well, they, had, the, they, had, they were the leaders. They railroaded this whole thing all along. So well, why you see, they, uh, these were great people among the uh, among the Jewish people. That is, these were the rulers. They were the leaders of the country. They were held in the highest esteem to be selected for service on the Sanhedrin was a great honor and, and reserved only for those who were of uh, 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 unimpeachable uh, integrity in the eyes of the people. Yeah. So they, they looked up to that. I was reading your, your article here. It says, Pilate's question to the crowd was, whom will ye that I release unto you? And so the crowd were the, the priests and the elders and the scribes and not, yeah, not, not the people? The, not the whole people. Okay. No. Well, we've heard the trial of Jesus Christ today. and uh, we, He wound up on the cross. He was railroaded through three different trials, each one of them not guilty. Pontius Pilate, why, was he concerned with what Caesar, would the people were upset with him and he was concerned about what Caesar was going to do to him if all of his pe people were upset. Well, again, we're, we're talking about the most influential people in all of Israel at this time. We're talking about the real leaders and rulers of the people and if they went to Caesar and said Pilate is protecting someone that we think is guilty of treason against you, Caesar was going to be pretty upset with Pilate. He was going to take that as a personal uh, insult to him on the part, part of Pilate and was going to romp on Pilate pretty heavily. So I guess Pilate just took the easy way out. He, oh, he's uh, he he, he lacked the uh, intestinal fortitude in nice language to stand up against that crowd, and uh, he took the easy way out. He didn't want to jeopardize his own uh, lofty position there. Does history say anything about what Caesar later thought of all this? Caesar, it indicates, later transferred Pilate to a uh, remote French uh, uh, consulate or, or procuratorship, and uh, he died there, uh, according to uh, some reports. Okay, was that as 
as a uh, as for what he did in this trial? Do you well, think? I don't think it was so much of a punishment, uh, except it was a it was a punishment in effect for going not following the with particularity the Roman law for having indicated that he was innocent and yet uh, acceding to the uh, crucifixion. Judge, would you like to make a closing statement about the trial of Jesus Christ? Well, uh, I think we have here uh, again uh, just an outstanding judicial experience, and uh, we've got to remember with that Jesus was judged before he was tried. He was charged with and tried for all of these crimes and yet was acquitted by each of the crimes. Yet he was convicted uh, and sentenced and died. Uh, it had to be, but I think that here is an example that, that uh, two of the greatest systems of jurisprudence that ever existed were prostituted to bring about the destruction of the most innocent man who ever lived. Judge Fogel, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you very much for Thank this you, hour. Joe. Hi, this is Attorney Joe Pippen. Hope you enjoyed that uh, presentation of the trial of Jesus with Attorney Joe Pippen, myself, and Judge Harry Fogel. Now I want to uh, fill the remaining time we have with you with uh, with part of a sermon that I gave at Indian Rocks Baptist Church on the very same subject, the trial of Jesus. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you have a great Easter. I love to do the trial of Jesus every year on the radio. It has its price, though, I must tell you. Uh, Sunday, I did the trial of Jesus on the radio. And the station was besieged with phone calls saying that I was offending Jewish people. And, they, and the program manager of our station even got a call at home saying I was offending Jewish people. And the trial was given from a, strictly from a, a legal perspective. I didn't even have my Bible with me that day, and I wasn't quoting Scripture. I was just telling the trial the way it was. Now, all the things they talk about and all the people they offend on talk radio, you think this would be the least, the least likely thing that would ever offend anyone is the trial of Jesus. But the truth of the matter, of fact, is that some Jews might have been offended because the story goes that the Jews and the high priest conspired against Jesus, and they were ultimately responsible for his death. Now, I did have an interesting phone call uh, from a fellow who said that the Pope, two years ago, had said that the Jews were not to blame for the, trial of, uh, for the trial of Jesus and his crucifixion, that it was the Romans. And he was partly right, because only the Romans then could could um, crucify anyone. But it was from the pressure of the uh, high priest, as you'll see from the story. You have to ask yourself, how can the most innocent person that ever walked this earth be convicted, condemned, and executed, crucified? How could the, What are the set of circumstances, what are the set of facts that led to the crucifixion? Jesus Christ went through six trials, and if you count the trial before the people as a trial, he went through seven trials. He went through seven trials, and I'm going to go through all of the trials with you, but he went through seven trials in a matter of 12 hours. And the end result, we all know, he was guilty, he was crucified. But what was he guilty of? Well, we're going to talk about that too. It is the most fascinating trial that I, as an attorney, love to read this trial. I love to study this trial. I usually give this talk several times around Easter time. It is the most, it's the most enjoyable trial you could ever read about. Uh, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, in your Bible. What I'm going to do is to take the trial as it's stated in the Bible, and I'm going to add to it facts about the Jewish law, the Jewish court, and the Roman law, and we're going to interweave the trial and the law and come to an end result and tell you a few facts along the way. But the, if you compare the trial of Jesus against many other famous trials, there is a trial of Joan of Arc, Galileo. There was a trial of the Lindbergh kidnapping trial. There was a trial of um, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, Baby M. There have been a lot of famous trials that have had some effect on certain things, but there's been no trial ever in the course of history that has had as much effect on society as the trial of Jesus. Now, I said he went through six trials in 12 hours, and the end result, he was crucified. You think about crucifixion as the worst death 
that anyone could ever imagine. It's got to be the worst penalty anyone could ever suffer. Let me read you something about crucifixion before we get into the trial. The soldiers first laid the cross on the ground and then placed him on it. They extended his feet, pulling his toes down. They drove a large nail through the arch of one foot and then through the arch of the other foot. Next, they extended his hands, allowing his knees to flex a little. They drove two great nails through his wrist, just below the heel of each hand. They couldn't put them through the palms of the flesh because it would tear. Once the soldiers nailed Christ to the cross, they lifted it and dropped it in a hole. When it hit bottom, the shock caused him great pain. Now he was crucified. Slowly he began to sag more and more. With his weight being held by the nails running through his wrist, pain shot up his arms. To try to relieve the pain, the Lord pushed up on the two wounds in his feet. They caused even more. Hour after hour, he endured a wrenching, twisting trade-off as he tried to relieve the pain in his hands and then in his feet. And after a while, the pain made it impossible to move. At this point, the arms fatigued. Great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, throbbing pain. When these cramps come, the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the muscles are paralyzed, and he's unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but it can't be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself to get one short breath, and eventually he dies. Now, the worst part of the story is in the Bible where, just to make sure he was going to die fast enough, Pilate sent word to break his bones while on the cross. This is stated in the Bible. And he had been on the cross for about five hours when Pilate said, break his bones to speed up the death. And when the soldiers got there to break his bones, and they did break the bones of the other two that were being crucified, they found Jesus had already died. So when then what did they do? Well, John 19, verses 32, 33, and 34 tell the story. The soldiers stuck a spear in his side. See, when you're on the cross, you're, the blood and water uh, goes to the middle part of the body. And just to make sure that Jesus was dead, they knew he was, they stuck a spear in his side to let the water and the blood gush out. Now, what a horrible way to die. What, a, what did Jesus do, the most innocent person that ever walked this earth? What did he do to deserve such a punishment? And we're going to go through the story uh, little by little so that you'll see what actually happened. Why was Jesus on trial? Whatever made them arrest him and put him on trial? Well, Jesus was a threat to the high priest. Jesus was a big threat to the high priest. He was teaching the countryside. There were huge crowds. He was preaching wisdom. He was drawing support away from the high priest. And they, they envied him. They couldn't stand it. He was getting uh, their, the people's support. In the Bible, in Matthew uh, chapter 26, verses 2 and 3, I'll just tell you these and I'll tell you what they say. Mark 14, uh, verse 1, Luke 22-2 tell you that the high priest conspired against this man named Jesus. He was teaching wisdom roaming the countryside. He was healing people. He was feeding the 4,000 prior to that. He had raised someone from the dead. He was going around saying that he was the Messiah, so the priest envied him. And they had to do something about this man named Jesus. Now also, just prior to the Passover, Jesus cleansed the temple. Now what does that mean? Jesus went into the temple. The temple had become more of a commercial adventure. The uh, people had come from all over, selling their animals, selling their goods, and they were doing this inside the temple. The high priest controlled what they called the money changers. Now, what happened was that anyone who wanted to do business in the temple had to exchange their money for temple money. And the exchange rate was something else. And the high priests were making a great deal of money during the time of Passover on the exchange rate, if you will. Jesus went into the temple and chased out the money changers. He chased out the vendors. He chased out the people selling things. So again, he was doing something that angered the high priest. And between that and preaching and healing, raising the dead, and all of these things, they... 
day conspired against him. Again, Matthew uh, 26, verses 2 and 3, Mark 14, 1, Luke 22, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. They say that the high priest met together to conspire against Jesus to kill him. And that's exactly what happened. Let's go to the arrest. Well, let me go through this first. There is, let me compare the law. There's some, there are many differences in the law back then and the law today. But a lot of the law back then is the same law today. Let me explain. The Romans had the law of the 12 tables. Now, there were 120 sections of law in the 12 tables. 87 of those sections are the exact law we have today. A lot of our law came from the Roman law. So what happened, there are a lot of differences that I need to tell you about. One of the things was back in those days, you had to have an airtight case, and they would not accept hearsay. They would not allow any hearsay evidence before uh, the court at that time. They would also, now today's law, there's a, there are many, so many hearsay exceptions to the law that there might as well not be a law sometimes. So there's a difference between back then. They were much stricter back then on what evidence could be presented to the court. The court back then, the Jewish uh, court, said that there could be no circumstantial evidence. You had to have hard, cold facts on someone uh, to present at a trial. There could be no circumstantial evidence. There's rarely a case in today's law that doesn't allow circumstantial evidence. So the court then would not accept the evidence from a conspirator. They would not accept it. You had to have cold, hard facts. One person conspiring against someone would, could not get anywhere in the, in the Jewish court system back then. Back then, as today, you have the right to have an attorney. In fact, you had to have someone represent you back in those days. Someone had to represent you. And if the Jewish court, which was made up of 23 scribes, 23 chief priests, 23 elders, and the high priest, 70 members, all voted against you, all 70 people voted against you, then you were acquitted because one of those 70 people had to represent you. And a unanimous verdict was an acquittal, believe it or not. That was a big difference in the law. The law could would not accept uh, self-testimony. You could not make a voluntary confession back in those days. It could not be used against you. And those are the big differences and many of our laws are the same. Let's go to the arrest. The arrest uh, had some reversible errors in the arrest and if these reversible errors, if the trial was, had been done correctly, these reversible errors would have been, been, been presented Jesus would have been acquitted. Number one reversible error was the arrest was at night. Now there's another big difference. You could not arrest anyone back in those days for a capital offense at night. Don't ask me why but you couldn't. You could not arrest anyone at night on a capital offense. Jesus was arrested at night. It was in the dark. Judas had to go over and kiss Jesus so that the guards, the temple guards who made the arrest would know who Jesus was. You know, it's the famous line, Judas, thou betrayest the son of uh, man with a kiss. That was a deadly kiss because that told the guards who Jesus was. Another thing illegal about the arrest was, not only was the arrest at night, which is a reversible error, but the arrest, using today's terminology, was without a warrant. You had to present evidence back in those days to the high priest or to the, to the Supreme Court, and they had to digest it, if you will, for a day before they would issue the warrant, the arrest warrant, to go arrest, arrest somebody. Here you have the temple guards controlled by the high priest just went out into the garden and arrested Jesus at night without any forethought, without any legal paperwork, if you will. They just did it. So the arrest was on the evidence also of a conspirator, Judas, which also was a reversible error back in those days. You couldn't take the testimony of a conspirator. You couldn't arrest anyone at night. And you had to have a warrant. Three reversible errors just on the arrest, not to mention the rest of the story. So they arrested him and took him to a high priest. They took him to the home of a high priest. And the high, this was just a holding uh, time. And the high priest questioned Jesus, asking him if he was the son of God, if he was the Messiah. And at this point, let me tell you this, Jesus, Jesus knew more law at the age of 12 than most of the people in the countryside. The elders were astonished, if you remember the story, that Jesus at 12 years old could, could uh, speak the law. And, and So Jesus knew his right at this time. And at the first uh, high priest that held 
him and ask him questions, Jesus said nothing. He didn't have to say anything because um, he couldn't have been used against him anyway, so he kept silent. Then Jesus, in the second, that was a trial before a high priest where the high priest asked him lots of questions and went over things. Then Jesus was transferred to the high priest who then asked questions. And the high priest uh, asked the same questions as the chief priest had asked uh, before. And Jesus was kind of silent still. He wasn't really speaking. He didn't have to and he didn't want to. They went before the Jewish Supreme Court. Now this was all 70 members of the Jewish Supreme Court. And they again asked him questions about being the Son of God. And Jesus admitted being the Son of God at this um, at this meeting, at this trial. This trial, by the way, was held at night. And there are the two problems with this. Number one, you could not, it'd be like uh, the Supreme Court meeting secretly at night today to make a decision. The Great Sanhedrin Court could not meet at night. They had to meet during a regularly scheduled time. That was a reversible error. They also could not meet during the Passover during a holiday. Another reversible error. There are as many as 17 reversible errors in the trial that I'm going to go through. Now, a lot of people say, a lot of the Jewish people who, who don't even think that Jesus was the Messiah say, well, the court system was so great. You had two of the greatest court systems there ever, there ever were at that time. The Jewish the law from Moses, rabbinic law, and the Roman law, the law of the Twelve Tables, were two of the greatest judicial systems there were. And a lot of scholars might argue that they could not have made that many errors in a trial. It just wasn't done. And they were right. It wasn't usually done. This is a highly unusual case. So the, uh, the, the Jesus admitted he was the Son of God, and the, they all voted. The Jewish Supreme Court, all seventy of them, voted to that he was guilty. What was he guilty of? Well, he was guilty of saying he was the Messiah, the Son of God, he, and he was guilty of saying that he could destroy a temple. Now, the Jewish Supreme Court made another error. They looked for witnesses, and as you read in the Bible, you'll find out they they sought even false witnesses to testify against Jesus. And they finally found two false witnesses. But the problem was they didn't agree. They didn't have the same story. One of them said Jesus could de destroy a temple and rebuild it in, in three days. And another one said that Jesus could destroy any temple. So they didn't exactly have the same story. There's something interesting about witnesses. The witnesses didn't have to take an oath back in those days. They were governed by the Ten Commandments. And if they lied or if they were caught lying, they too were executed. That was a penalty of lying was their own execution. So you found very few witnesses back in those days that would tell a lie. And the second part is that the witnesses that testified against people were also used in the execution process. So they took part in the execution. So they had strong, they would usually have strong feelings and be exactly right and on point on the, on the different parts of the law or what they were testifying against. So they found two false witnesses to testify against Jesus. Now the Sanhedrin court, the Jewish Supreme Court, had no power to carry out executions at that time. That had to be done by the Roman court. So the great uh, Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, had to take their prisoner Jesus to the to the Roman emperor or to the Roman Roman governor Pontius Pilate and present their case against them against him and then Pontius Pilate would pass sentence. Well, the Jewish Supreme Court knew they were in trouble. They had a voluntary confession that could not be used. They had two false witnesses that did not agree on what they said. They had a unanimous vote. You couldn't have a unanimous vote because one of them had to represent him, and if you represented him, you couldn't vote against him. So they changed their charge. They changed the charge against Jesus to treason before Pilate, and they argued as followed Jesus. Jesus is going around preaching his Messiah. He wants to start his own nation and be king of the nation. He doesn't recognize Caesar, and all this is against Caesar. So they brought up, and not only that, he's inciting the, the, the crowd and the mob. So they brought up a new charge of treason. Jesus asked, uh, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus about this. Was he the Messiah? And, and Jesus uh, finally said, after being solid for a while, that he was. But he further convinced Pilate at this first meeting that he was not trying to set up another nation, that he was not conspiring against Caesar. And Pilate, after hearing all the testimony on this new charge, said, I can find nothing wrong with this just man and tried to acquit him. Well, the high priest couldn't stand for this. They wanted this man dead. He was drawn away support. He was 
affecting their monetary, uh, the money they were receiving. And they wanted him out of the picture. So they raised such a fuss that uh, Pontius Pilate had a hot potato. He didn't know what to do. Herod was in town. Herod was a Roman emperor of Galilee, where Jesus was from. So Herod says, well, I'm, uh, Pontius Pilate says, I'm going to transfer this case to Herod. And he said to himself, I'm sure, because I don't want to handle it. And I don't want to make the decision. I can find no wrong with this just man. So the, the, he transferred the case to Herod. Now, Herod really didn't want the case either. He had always wanted to meet Jesus and never had the opportunity. So when he asked Jesus questions, Jesus remained silent. Jesus would not even respond to any of his questions. Herod insisted that he perform a miracle. Jesus wouldn't do it, and he wouldn't answer his questions. So Pirate, um, Herod acquitted him and sent him back. You didn't have to testify against yourself, and the Jews certainly weren't doing a very good job with the, uh, with the evidence they were coming up against this man. So at this point, you've had five trials, and basically they were a farce. And when you get to the Romans, you get to the first trial with Pilate and the first trial with Herod, they find no fault with the man and want to release him. So what happens? It goes back to Pilate. Now let me tell you about Pontius Pilate. Three times the Jewish people had, had complained to Caesar about Pilate. And three times Caesar had told Pilate to change something that he was doing to appease the Jewish people. So Pilate had basically struck out with the Jewish people. He could do nothing right. The Jewish people didn't like him and he didn't like them. Pilate was very worried about his job. He didn't want to have the Jewish leaders go back to Caesar the fourth time and said, Jesus is conspiring against you. And we brought this to Pontius Pilate, and he did nothing. So Pontius Pilate was very worried about his job. Very, very worried. So what can he do? He had the high pressure of the priests wanting him to do something. So Pilate did this. He said, I can find no fault in this man, but take him to take him outside to the mob, have him scourged, flogged, and so forth. So here you have a judge, and a very well-known astute judge, saying, this man is innocent, but take him out to the mob and have him flogged and scourged. And what that was, that was a, a short whip with little metal things on the end of it that they gave him 40 lashes. They gave Jesus 40 lashes for nothing. They said he was innocent. And Pontius Pilate thought that would be enough, that that would be enough to satisfy the high priest. And he thought if they did that, that that would be all he'd have to do. And when that was over, the high priest kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. We've given you enough evidence. Of course, they hadn't. We've given you enough evidence to crucify him. So Pilate went to the judgment seat. They called it the judgment seat then. And he had a hard, what he thought was a hard decision. Should he have an innocent man crucified, or was he going to lose his job? Now, while he was on the judgment seat, something interesting happened. And I, from everything I've read, think that he was leaning toward releasing Jesus. But he got a message from his wife while he was on the judgment seat. So he removed himself from the judgment seat, went to another room to take the message. And the message said, you must release this innocent man. The pilot went back to the judgment seat, and by then the high priest had incited the mob. The high priest had incited the mob even more. And the mob outside the, the, uh, the temple there, or the, uh, the Roman court, was saying, we're all chanting now, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate being a very weak man of, of no guts, let's say, issued the order after all of that to crucify him. Just prior to that, though, uh, Pontius Pilate was asking Jesus questions, and Jesus, Pontius Pilate said, Do you know I have the power to release thee or crucify thee? And that's when Jesus said, You have no power except the power given to you by God above. And that kind of stunned Pilate. And there was another famous line in there where Pontius, or Pontius Pilate was asking Jesus questions, and Jesus goes through saying that he was, uh, he was preaching the truth. And Pilate had his famous line, what is the truth? And of course, that question was never answered because Pilate went off. Pilate didn't want the blood of Jesus Christ on his hands. So he went and washed his hands before the people, saying that I'm washed my hands of Jesus' blood, and the, the blood of Jesus will be on you 
and not me. I can still find no fault in this man. But being the weak, being the weakness uh, that took place there, he issued the order to crucify him. No evidence against him. There were 17 errors made in the trial. The arrest was illegal. The arrest was at night. It was without a warrant. Jesus, there's another interesting side story here. Jesus had a friend on the Jewish court, and that friend should have, by you would think, vote against Jesus. And what the friend did, according to, uh, to popular theory, let's say, is voted against Jesus because he knew that a unanimous verdict against Jesus would be enough to acquit Jesus by the way the law was in that day. But you can see this whole thing was railroaded through from start to finish. Some people say there are 20 errors in the trial. You can see all the people rising up against this person that was doing them harm. Of course, the only one that were affected really were the Jewish high priest. They were the ones with the case. They were the ones that pushed this case through, as clearly stated in the Bible. So there you have the trial of Jesus. The 17 errors were, I'll just review, in the six trials, there were a trial before a high priest, there was a trial before the chief priest. There was a trial before the Sanhedrin. There was a trial before Pilate. There was a trial before Herod. There was another trial before Pilate. There was even another trial before the people. During the Passover activities, the, uh, the people, the chief priest and the, and the people, could uh, let someone go. They could let a prisoner go. And Pontius Pilate used this as a way maybe to free Jesus. So he gave the people the vote of letting either Jesus go or Barabbas go, a noted murderer. And the people voted to let Barabbas go and, and to crucify Jesus. That could be the seventh trial. So the arrest was illegal. No warrant. Jesus wasn't represented by anyone. Uh, they used a voluntary confession. They trumped up a, jar, a charge. Pontius Pilate reviewed all the evidence. Uh, I tried to acquit him. And all the things I have told you did not have effect on the outcome. And it should have. Any one of those things should have had an effect on the outcome. Invite God along for the morning commute. Weekday mornings at 7, it's Focus on the Family. This is a new form of evangelism, ricochet evangelism. You share your faith, it bounces off a hard heart, you don't know where it's going to go. And at 7.30, Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Strength for your morning. Faith Talk, AM 570, AM 910, and FM 102.1. Imagine your increase in sales with your web at the top of search engines getting first crack at millions of potential customers. We know how to make that happen. We're Salem Surround, digital marketing experts who offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest ideas that could dramatically grow your profits. Getting your website at the top of search engines is a process that takes unusual expertise. Our team can help you achieve. In fact, we can put all your digital marketing under one roof, give you monthly reports on results, and instantly move your dollars to the most effective areas of your digital marketing suite. Social marketing, geofencing, web search enhancement, event targeting, and more. There are no limitations on where you can reach customers with Salem Surround. Total market penetration for increased ROI. Learn more by logging on to surroundtampa.com. Surroundtampa.com. Connecting you with new customers. Pastor Danny Hodges and Calvary Chapel Fellowship invite you to join us to celebrate the risen Savior at Easter at Mahaffey. We'll be combining all of our weekly services for a morning of worship and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday, April 21st at 10.30 a.m. at the spacious Mahaffey Theater, located at 400 First Street South in downtown St. Petersburg. Doors will open at 9.30 and parking is free. 
We'll also have childcare available for kids ages 0 to 5. So bring your family and invite your friends and neighbors to join in the celebration. For more information, visit ccfstpete.church. That's ccfstpete.church. The power of the I want to remind you that coming up Monday, ladies, you'll have a special opportunity to view a brand new program. It's called Better Together. It will be premiering on the TBN network Monday, April 22nd at 1.30 p.m. It's TBN's first daily original program made by women for women. They'll be discussing faith and family and friends and so much more. No topic is off limits. But I tell you what. When real friends get together for real conversations, and let me say conservative conversations or socially conservative conversations, you know what? Those are really special and informative. Now, keep in mind, this is not going to be like The View. It's not going to be four ladies, uh, four liberals, and one conservative. No, we're going to have all conservatives. And you'll get a chance to uh, spend some time with Laurie Crouch, Christine Kane. And they'll have authentic, fruitful conversations about faith and life. So make sure you tune in on Monday, April 22nd, 1.30 p.m. for the new program, Better Together. Saturday afternoons at 4. It's time for Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. God allows that seed to grow. The mustard seed is a seed. And seeds are meant to grow. God begins with small things. But God's purpose is that whatever he starts small will end big. Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs, Saturday afternoons at 4 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN, online at letstalkfaith.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. Thousands of Christian pilgrims descended upon Jerusalem this Good Friday to commemorate Jesus' crucifixion and death retracing his steps through the ancient stone alleys of Jerusalem's old city. The crowd carried wooden crosses high on their shoulders and sang hymns to mark one of Christianity's most solemn days. The confluence of Good Friday and the Jewish holiday of Passover this year led to flocks of tourists and a festive atmosphere in the holy city. Former Vice President Joe Biden is expected to announce he's running for president next week. Citing three people with knowledge of Biden's plans, the Associated Press says the former vice president's announcement is expected as early as Wednesday. The Atlantic first reported Biden's decision. According to several polls, the 76-year-old Biden will enter the race as a Democratic frontrunner, even though he faces questions about his age and whether or not his record is liberal enough for party activists. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reporting. Storm Prediction Center meteorologist Liz Lightman says today's biggest threat includes areas of the Carolinas, eastern Virginia, and possibly coastal Georgia into parts of Florida. The greatest threat is in the moderate risk area, which extends across parts of eastern South Carolina and then northward into the Piedmont regions of North Carolina and Virginia. In those areas, we could see very strong damaging wind gusts and potentially a few tornadoes. Much of the area is under a tornado watch. A California couple who pleaded guilty to years of torture and abuse of 12 of their 13 children have been sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. David and Louise Turpin were sentenced Friday during an emotional hearing that saw some of the children speak publicly about the abuse for the first time. 
More on these stories at townhall.com. When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com. And now, a quick comparison from Grasshopper. When a client calls, what do you want them to hear? Your personal voicemail? Hey, you've reached Greg's cell phone? Uh, I'm away right now, (laughs) obviously. Uh, Leave a message and maybe I'll get back to you. Or something a little more buttoned up, courtesy of Grasshopper. Thanks for calling Green Landscaping. To make an appointment, dial 1. For billing, dial 2. To speak with Greg Smith, dial 1. There's no contest. Put your best voice forward with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system for small business. Try it free at grasshopper.com. Assistant Chief Constable Mark Hamilton says a 29-year-old journalist was shot dead Thursday night in Londonderry while covering riots in the city. We have now launched a murder inquiry here in the city. Uh, We believe this to be a terrorist act. We believe it's been carried out by violent Republicans. Our assessment at this time would be that the new IRA are most likely to be the ones behind this, and that forms our primary line of inquiry. The victim was identified as Lyra McKee, The police service of Northern Ireland said the 29-year-old journalist and author was shot and killed probably by a stray bullet during rioting in the Cregan area. Hurricane Michael, which devastated a swath of the Florida panhandle last fall, has been upgraded to a Category 5 storm, only the fourth to make recorded landfall in the United States and the first since 1992. The announcement was made by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. News and analysis at townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. We're here to give you strength between Sundays. The author of the book of Hebrews said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, exhorting one another. Be accountable to somebody. We are here for you. Faith Talk AM 570. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Saturday afternoons at 430. Join Pastor John Couch for This Day in the Word. He blesses those who diligently, they are focused. They got missile lock. They're dialed in. They're going after God who seek him, who run hard after him, who love him, who live for him. This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Saturday afternoons at 430 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Hello, I'm Bill Bunkley, and welcome to this special presentation, The Story of Easter. Easter is one of the most important of holidays, most important of spiritual significance to men and women around the globe. And today we want to just take a few moments to look at the significance of not only Easter, but that week leading up to Easter. Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem Knowing what he was awaiting there makes the story that much more compelling. A week before Easter, he is making his way to the Holy City. He spends the weekend seven days before Easter, as we know it today, and that is the day of his resurrection. But we take you back a week before where he's actually staying with some friends. He's in Bethany, 
He's at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He spends Friday and Saturday there, the best that we can tell. And as he is preparing for his triumphal entry, that's going to be happening, of course, on Sunday. And we read in Matthew, the 21st chapter, that now when they drew near to Jerusalem on that Sunday morning and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Unloose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now I want to tell you it's very interesting because people don't realize sometimes that there was actually two donkeys. One was the colt that had never been ridden upon, and then, of course, the colt's mother. And because of the relationship between the colt and the mother, many believe that's why they summoned both animals. So as Jesus would later ride upon the colt, the colt would be perfectly at ease because the colt would not have been recently separated from the mother of the colt. And so as we sort of look at that picture and begin to see what's unfolding, and of course, Jesus now is going to be moving. He's going to start coming into his own, and he's going to be climbing upon that colt and descending down the Mount of Olives. Now, what's important about this is that people are starting to gather. For you see, because of the oppression of the Roman authority, as well as those of the temple authority, the people of Jerusalem were looking for a savior. They were looking for a king. What they didn't understand was that um, King Jesus, as he was going to make his triumphal entry into the city, was not coming as a conquering king. He was coming as a spiritual king. Now, Don't get me wrong, one day he is going to come again, and he is going to be coming the second time as a conquering king, but this is not what his mission was on this day. So as Jesus begins to ride on this triumphant journey into the city, people are coming, and they are shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are throwing blankets on the road. They're throwing palm leaves on the road. And one of the reasons for this is there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people who were coming out and the crowd was gathering and and growing. Now remember that that would have been a very, very dusty road. And so many scholars believe the reason why they were throwing the, the blankets and the reason why they were throwing the palm branches on the road was to keep the dust down. That as this big crowd was proceeding and and all of this worship of Jesus was going on, it was an an opportunity for them to to not only show this royal entrance. And by the way, Jesus was going to be entering from the Mount of Olives, which was on the western side, excuse me, on the eastern side of the city. Understand that this was in direct opposition to where when the Romans entered the city, 
Of course, the Romans would be coming in from their fortification at Caesarea by the sea over on the Mediterranean, which is on the west side of the city of Jerusalem. So the Romans, when they came with all of their pomp and circumstance, they came in from the opposite side, on the western side in the western gate of the city. So this also had great significance for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus arrives, of course, he goes straight to the temple. And when he arrives at the temple, Matthew tells us, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing. Which of you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Well, this was one of the many times that Jesus' parables really, really baffled the chief priests and the scribes. So they were reasoning among themselves, and while they were there, they said, If we say it's from heaven, Jesus will say to us, Well, then, did you not believe him? But if we say it's from men, well, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, and they said, the only safe answer, we don't know. Well, as Jesus was in the temple, he said, if you don't know, I don't know. So Jesus begins to call out. Jesus begins to lay the groundwork for the tremendous animosity that's going to be building up between the Jewish leaders of the temple and to Jesus himself. And in fact, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. The scripture tells us then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Because remember that he entered on Sunday. The triumphal procession led to the temple. He had this encounter, but then he departed from the temple. And so scripture tells us, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown completely down. And so he retreated on that day of the triumphal entry. He retreated back to the Mount of Olives. And Scripture tells us that while on the Mount of Olives in Matthew, now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrows. And so as we place this in the timeline, this is later on Sunday, a week from when he would be resurrected from the dead, as he's teaching 
on the Mount of Olives. And of course, we also hear about the Great Tribulation. In Matthew, we also read, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so as the day is rounding out, the disciples are getting some of the most important instructions about what will be happening happening in coming days, coming generations, coming centuries. Though they did not know the timeline, they were being briefed by the Lord himself of things to come. Now, at this time, they were plotting to kill Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, and the Sadducees, they've, they've just about had enough of this, this insurrectionist, this, this person that was going to be possibly challenging their authority. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And at one of the darkest days in the history of the church was the day when one of the twelve, his name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And so from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the story of Easter. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pick up the story at Passover as Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Faith Talk 570, WTBN. Hi, this is Carrie. I'm so excited for May 5th. Why? Because it's Compassion Sunday. My family sponsored a child a couple of years ago on Compassion Sunday at our church, and it's been the best thing we have ever experienced. And I'm excited because I want you to have that same experience. Would you join us? Just go to Compassion.com slash Sunday to find a church near you that's hosting Compassion Sunday. That's Compassion.com slash Sunday. Okay, here's the deal. Mortgage rates went up this year, right? Wrong. If you're looking to lower your monthly payment or thinking of getting cash out of your home, mortgage rates are actually now the lowest in months. But the clock's ticking. 
And at Cash Call Mortgage, there's no better time to take advantage than right now. Call us at 833-458-CASH. Speak with one of our refinance specialists today, and you may be able to lock in the lowest rates of the year before they're gone. We'll even get the process started without the upfront deposit other lenders still charge. That's 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today. Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage. NMLS ID 128231. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in all states, including New York. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. Don't let these low rates pass you by. All you need to get started is a phone. Dial 833-458-CASH. Again, 833-458-CASH. Refinance with Cash Call Mortgage today. Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I am the host of Unfiltered Radio weekdays at 6.30, and I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I want to let you know about the launch of our North Campus on Easter Sunday, April the 21st. Our church has grown as we started as an alternative to church as usual several years ago, and now there's the need to create more space, and so we would love to invite you to join us on Easter Sunday for the launch of that campus, and we would love to invite you to be a part of that launch team, and you can get all of the information and sign up to join at centerpointfl.org, and again, that's centerpointfl.org. Welcome back to our special presentation, The Story of Easter. I'm Bill Bunkley. We're going to pick up the story of the story of Easter now when Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Of course, we believe this took place on Thursday evening, sometime between the 6 and the 9 o'clock hour. And it's an opportunity for us to begin to understand a little bit of what was Jesus thinking? What was the thought process as he was to go through this gathering of his disciples and later to retreat to the Mount of Olives? And of course, the Last Supper is something that's been depicted in many, many art renderings and in the hearts and minds of so many of, of the people who follow Jesus. We pick up in Scripture. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now, when the evening had come, Jesus sat down with the 12 and while they were eating, and Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine at that moment the disciples were looking around at each other, knowing that one of their own, one of their band of brothers was going to betray the master? Scripture tells us they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them, not trusting their own heart, began to ask, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Jesus answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. 
that is just something very awesome to contemplate. Imagine being the one who would deceive Jesus. But the question that we all have today, how many times have each of us sinned and denied Jesus in our heart? Judas, who knew he was betraying him, but still asked the question, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus said, you have said it. So can, so imagine that they continued on at this point in the celebration of the Passover. Jesus has now named his betrayer. Judas exits. He leaves. We'll pick up his story again in a moment. And now the Lord is about to institute the Last Supper. And this is something that uh, we still observe today. This is something that the church is is a very important part of what we do to remember him until he comes again. And so if you can imagine now, Jesus is looking over the 11 and not the 12. The scripture says that as they were eating, Jesus reached over and picked up a loaf of bread. He blessed the bread. He broke it, and he gave the bread to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks for the cup, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so as the hours begin to click on, as we're getting closer to the events that would be happening of one of the greatest injustices known to man during the next 12 hours, Jesus is instituting the Last Supper. Peter, Peter who we've grown to love, Peter who we can all relate to, Peter once again being, well, just Peter, Jesus talks about the fact that all of the disciples will soon be fleeing from him. But Peter challenges the Lord Jesus and says, not I. I'm not going to be one that's going to flee from you. In fact, the Lord, I'm with you through thick and thin. I'm going to be here with you. In fact, Peter tells him in Scripture, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Peter, the brawny, great fisherman of Galilee, felt pretty sure of himself. But Jesus turned, and and I can only imagine 
the gaze that Jesus had as he looked into Peter's eyes. And Jesus said to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter denies that that will happen, but as the story unfolds, we will learn more about Peter's humanity. And as Jesus and as the 11 disciples sat around that very blessed dinner table, they sung a hymn. And as they closed out their Passover celebration, and we believe that was in the area of about uh, 9 o'clock in the evening, they then departed and headed out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus would eventually be going in to the Garden of Gethsemane. As nightfall is now approached, as this night of Passover is about to begin, remember that the plan is now unfolding. And the plan is to try Jesus. The plan is to get rid of Jesus. And the plan is to have all of this take place overnight under the cloak of darkness. And to do it in such a fashion that the people would not revolt in support of Jesus. Have you ever thought about the mind of Christ from the point of view of what did Jesus think when he was standing on the Mount of Olives on that triumphal entry? Knowing of the horrible week that lay ahead of him. Imagine the mind of Christ sitting there at the Last Supper. Trying to give the final instructions to his followers. Knowing full well what was before him. But that plan being veiled from his disciples. Imagine the hymn. Imagine the walk from what we celebrate as the upper room. Down and outside the old city gates of Jerusalem. Down into the Kidron Valley and then back up on the next ridge to the east, which is the Mount of Olives. I think about what Jesus must have been contemplating during that walk. Because as we'll talk about in the next segment, Jesus is going to be having maybe the most serious conversation in prayer with his Heavenly Father of his entire ministry. When we come back, we'll go to the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as the events of the betrayal begin to unfold. I'm Bill Bunkley. 
This is the story of Easter. Faith Talk 570, WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. A California couple who pleaded guilty to years of torture and abuse of 12 of their 13 children have been sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. David and Louise Turpin were sentenced Friday during an emotional hearing that saw some of their children speak publicly about the abuse for for the first time. Louise Turpin wept as she apologized for hurting her children, while her husband David Turpin struggled to give a short statement. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee issued a subpoena Friday for special counsel Robert Mueller's report as Democrats in Congress escalated their investigation of President Donald Trump. The Justice Department released a redacted version of the report on Thursday, but Democratic Congressman Gerald Nadler says Congress must see the entire thing. More details at srnnews.com. Come on, kids. We're late. Honey, the car won't start. Mom, the dog just sat on my science project. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases, with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. GetEthos.com. Hey, I want to remind you that Breakthrough opened up on Wednesday, and it's going to be playing throughout the uh, Easter weekend. And I want to tell you that this is one that you really want to see. Now, Breakthrough is a movie about a young lad who slipped through an icy lake back in January of 2015. This happened just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And the youngster was underwater for nearly 45 minutes, plus the time he was taken to the hospital without a heartbeat. And let me tell you that as you get into this story and find out about uh, the faith of uh, his mother, Joyce, after 45 minutes, she touched his hand, began praying for him in the emergency room, and his heart started beating. And I want to tell you that when you get a chance to see the miracles, when you see the faith that she had that the Lord would revive her son, you might be going through something right now that you need your breakthrough. Hey, you can see the trailer at BreakthroughMovie.com. That's BreakthroughMovie.com. But hey, put it on your agenda to see the movie Breakthrough sometime this weekend. Thinking about a career change? How about your dream job on the staff at a local church? At churchstaffing.com, you can find your true calling and a new career with meaning. Churchstaffing.com has listings for hundreds of jobs in churches all across the country. For pastors and worship leaders, secretaries, accountants, facilities and maintenance, graphic designers, IT specialists, and much more. Best of all, it's free. Find the ideal job for you at the perfect place. Visit at churchstaffing.com. That's churchstaffing.com. 
Bible Line with Pastor Ralph Yankee Arnold. In the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, it says that uh, we have a place reserved for us in heaven. Mm, the faith is not away. Eternal in the heavens. We got a place. So I already know I'm going to heaven. But uh, one of the greatest things you can do is that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, let your loved ones know it. Bible Line, weekday mornings at 10 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. We're back with the story of Easter. I'm Bill Bunkley, and uh, we are talking about that very important week, the Holy Week. And we pick up the story now as Jesus has arrived on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is now entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. The Scripture tells us that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And our Lord was deeply distressed, deeply sorrowful. And he said to these three disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here. And watch with me. Then Jesus went a little bit further into the garden. He fell on his face and began to pray. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came back to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit, Jesus said, is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Jesus departed and went further into the garden again to pray. O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came out and he found them asleep again. For the scripture tells us their eyes were weary. So Jesus left them again and he went to pray alone a third time. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour now is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Look, my betrayer is at hand. Now we believe this was happening sometime between the 9 o'clock hour and 10.30 on Thursday evening after the Passover. And now we have the torches. Now we have the guards. The high priest is making his move. The one who would betray Jesus is leading the entourage. And while Jesus was still speaking, the scriptures tells us, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of 
swords, and clubs came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given him a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately Judas approaches and walks right up to Jesus, looks him in the eye and says, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kisses him. Jesus looks at him, I believe, straight in his eyes and says, Friend, why have you come? Now, Jesus knows the answer to that. Just like so many times when Jesus asks us in his spirit questions that he already has an answer, knowing that it is important for us to face and to answer those important questions. So they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. And he struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. Name was Malchus. Jesus turned around and said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and that he would not provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thusly? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat with you daily. I sat with you teaching in the temple, and you never seized me. You never arrested me. But all of this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples abandoned him and took off running. Every last one of them, Jesus, alone in a dark garden on the Mount of Olives, lit up by the torches of the guards, of the soldiers, was now on his own. Now those that came to arrest him, they led him back into the old city of Jerusalem to Caiaphas, the high priest, where all the scribes and elders were assembled. And by the way, this was a legal gathering. This was the beginning of an illegal proceeding. They were not following Jewish law. This was a lynching. Peter actually followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard and then went in and sat with the servants to see what was going on. Now the priests and the elders and all the council, they were, they were bringing up their false testimony against Jesus because they wanted to put him to death. Many false witnesses came forward. Many came in this bogus trial of our Lord and Savior. A lot of discourse went on between Jesus and the high priest. And all four of the Gospels speak to 
the dialogue that went on that evening. But the high priest at one point arose and said to Jesus, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? That's the false witnesses. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us, tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us if you are the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, and I can just picture Jesus looking intently into the eyes of the chief priest. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. At that point, the high priest reached up the top of his garments and he ripped his garments, saying, He, Jesus, has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And the other priests gathered, began saying, He, Jesus, is deserving of death. Now, as this was going on, Peter was outside in the courtyard, and a young servant girl came to him saying you also were with jesus of galilee but peter denied it peter says i don't know what you're saying not me and when he had gone to the gateway yet another girl saw him two women confronted him and said to those who were there she pointed at peter and she said this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not even know this man. And yet, a little while later, those who stood by came up to Peter, recognized him and said, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then Peter began to curse. That's right. Peter is cursing. Peter is swearing, saying, I don't know this man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I can only imagine. I can only imagine the pain in Peter's heart. Well, when we come back, we're going to be picking up the story as Jesus is now led away from the high priest and he's handed over to Pontius Pilate. Because they don't want to do the dirty work. They want Pontius Pilate to do the dirty work. We'll pick up with the story at that point in just a moment. Faith Talk 570, WTBN. Imagine your increase in sales with your website at the top of search engines, getting first crack at millions of potential customers. We know how to make that happen. We're Salem Surround, digital marketing experts who offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness with ideas to dramatically grow your profits. Salem Surround, total market penetration for increased ROI. 
Learn more by logging on to surroundtampa.com. Surroundtampa.com. Connecting you with new customers. Sunday afternoons at 1230 and 630. Listen to Calvary Church Radio with Dr. Willie Rice. God did not give you your gifts for yourself. He has given you the gifts he has given you for his glory and the advance of his church. Calvary Church Radio with Dr. Willie Rice. Sundays at 1230 p.m. and 630 p.m. On Faith Talk, AM 570, 910, and FM 102.1. I'm Bill Bunkley, and welcome back to this special presentation of the story of Easter. We're going to pick up the story as Jesus is now being turned over to Pontius Pilate. He is now leaving the Sanhedrin, and now he's going to be put before the Roman civil law. And in fact, he's going to have a trial, an open trial, where many are going to watch the proceedings. At this time... We also learn of the fact that Judas realizes what he has done to Jesus. And Judas hangs himself. Now, Matthew tells us that he hung himself. Luke has a different account in Acts where he says that Judas purchased a field with the 30 pieces of silver. And that he he fell. He had an accident. He fell headlong and, well, he had a very horrific accident where he had... All of his bowels were thrust out of his body. And yet there's still some other people who, the scholars, who contend that uh, in the process of hanging himself, he slipped and actually uh, impaled himself on a rock. But we don't really know. Some think he was murdered. But uh, other than what we hear, whether what we read in Matthew and Luke, that's what we know. But nonetheless, the conscience of Judas was too much for him. To bear. We pick up the story now as Jesus is going before Pontius Pilate. Now, Jesus was born in the Galilee. Pontius Pilate feared taking action since Jesus was born in an area that was really out of his immediate jurisdiction. Now, Herod Antipas was there as well, and so he begins to try and figure out a way that maybe he could pardon Jesus in all of this process. But as Jesus is before him, with all the pomp and circumstance, very early in the morning, I might add, it is still a mockery. Because what's happening is, is that while he's before Pontius Pilate, he finds that the Roman procreator procurator is trying to cut a deal. So he brings out a murderer, Barabbas, and he allows the crowd to make a decision, a decision where he says, in recognition of the Passover, he will follow the Roman tradition and he will release a Jewish prisoner. So he asked the crowd, who do I release? Do I release Jesus or do I release Barabbas? Well, officials of the Sanhedrin were there, and I believe that they were 
moving amongst the crowd at this point to make sure the crowd shouted for Barabbas to be released. A lot of dialogue goes on between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And at this point, Pontius Pilate challenges Jesus. Tells him that he has the power to pardon him or to crucify him. Of which Jesus answers back to Pilate and says, You have no power unless that power was bestowed to you by my Father in heaven. And so the crowd says, let him be crucified, crucified, crucified. And so then Jesus is then set to go to Golgotha. And as you know, the Roman soldiers, they took Jesus in the praetorium and they gathered a whole garrison around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked Jesus, saying, Hail, Jesus, King of the Jews, and they they spit on our Savior. They took a reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him. And then, as he was beaten and battered, a crown of thorns thrust until his skull. They led him away to be crucified. And they began the journey to Golgotha. And as Jesus was stumbling, a man came out, a man of Cyrene. His name was Simon. And they forced Simon to carry his cross. Jesus is led to Golgotha. The Roman guards hammer the nails into his wrists and into his legs, and he is thrust upon that crossbar, and he is crucified. They put a sign over his head. This is Jesus who is king of the Jews. Along with two robbers, he was crucified. One on the right, one on the left. Many people were blaspheming Jesus while he was upon the cross. They were wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. You who are the son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests were there. They were mocking him, along with the scribes and the elders. They were yelling at him, saying, hey, he saved himself. They yelled at him, I should say, he cannot save himself. If he were the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now. If he will even have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus said it was finished. Jesus instructed John, who was there, and 
his mother Mary and the other Mary instructed John to take care of his new mother, which was Jesus' mother, of which we have accounts that John was very faithful to the words of the Savior. So Jesus is crucified. When Jesus is crucified, there's a great earthquake in the temple. The veil was ripped in two. Darkness came over the land. Everyone knew now that this was just no ordinary man. And in the midst of that turmoil, as Jesus had expired, Joseph of Arimathea comes upon the scene and he offers Jesus, offers his burial place for, for Jesus to be entombed. And Jesus is prepared. He's wrapped in the burial clothes. It must be done very quickly because all this must happen before sundown. And so Jesus is placed in the tomb. And of course we know the glorious story that on the third day when the women came to the tomb, Jesus was not there. Even with an armed guard to make sure that no one could come and steal the body and thus perpetuate a big hoax of a story, Jesus was resurrected. And, of course, on that fateful morning of the empty tomb, and, of course, Jesus not only showed himself to the disciples there, but later in Galilee. It is the hope of the Easter story that we have today. Now, I want to share with you that the Easter story and all of its details are richly documented in the Gospels. And in the brief one hour that we had to share with you today the story of Easter, we certainly could not bring you all of the compelling dialogue and the stories, the words of Jesus, because time would prohibit that. But this is the time of the Holy Week. This is the time where I very much encourage you to seek out maybe the Gospel of Matthew. So much of the story of the last week of Jesus is laid out in that Gospel. But yet there's also compelling accounts in Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.